So, I'm Pastor Dan. Welcome. It's good to see you. The title of my sermon this morning is, What in the World? My text is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. And I've got it printed and inserted in your bulletin for, with the New King James Version, together with the title and the sermon outline for your easy reference. So pray with me as I seek God's oversight. Dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I was raised by my grandparents, and my grandparents taught me early on that one of the best ways to learn is is to ask questions, and I believed that until I came across some actual questions that some people had submitted to Facebook or Instagram or Google or Yahoo. I want you to hear these. They're real questions. I'm not making these up. For example, can I safely look at a picture of the sun without going blind? Do you think humans will ever walk on the sun? What happens if you paint your teeth white with nail polish? How big is the specific ocean? (laughs) If Batman's parents are dead, then how was he born? (laughs) How do you get YouTube to come film me? This one, the first service didn't quite get. I got no response. If I eat myself... Would I become twice as big or disappear completely? (laughs) My favorite. Are there any autographs of Jesus on eBay? You know, but one great question can more than make up for a hundred silly ones. So we are in a sermon that we are calling, What in the World? And we're answering what I believe is one of the greatest questions anyone could ever ask, and that is, what in the world does God want from me? When we pray, you know, we spend the vast majority of our time telling God what we want from Him. When was the last time you stopped and really thought to yourself, what does God want from me? You don't have to wonder because God has told us. The very first thing that God wants from us is faith. The very first thing he says to anyone who comes to him is, believe me. If you come to believe in God, not just in your head, but in your heart, and place your faith in him, then the very next thing he says is, he wants your love. After he says, believe me, he says, love me. Now, you obviously are not going to Love God until you believe in Him. But this world is filled with people who believe in God but do not love Him. You know, the single most important thing that God wants from us after our faith is love. And I know that because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, tells us that. Jesus had a group of antagonists who didn't care for Him at all. Jesus had His enemies. There there were three specific groups that sought to stop him. 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. One of those things they were always trying to do was to trap Jesus by asking him certain questions. And they were getting increasingly frustrated because while they were testing him, he was besting them. Jesus had an answer, and it wasn't just the right answer. It was the perfect answer that would shut down all debate. You know, they had already asked questions to Jesus about taxes and whether or not they should be paid and whether or not uh, there was a resurrection and what it meant and whether or not there would be marriage in heaven. You know, on each of their questions, he gave an answer they totally didn't expect, but one that was so brilliant that it astonished the people who heard it. Now, increasingly frustrated, they take another shot. Our text, Matthew twenty two thirty four to 36 states, <clears throat> But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Let's stop there before we go to verse 36. You see, Jesus had just shut down the Sadducees with their question, and now the Pharisees tagged team and asked their question, And before we read the question, verse 36, you will think it is an honest question, except we are told the reason the question was asked was to test Jesus. This lawyer is not wanting to be taught by Jesus. He wants Jesus to be trapped. But inadvertently, he asked a great question. Now our text, verse 36, states the question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? On the surface, it sounds like a great question because it helps us to answer the question, what in the world does God want from us? What is the number one commandment that God wants us to obey? But you need to understand, it was really a loaded question, and here's why. The Pharisees had counted 613 separate laws in what was known as the law, five books of the Old Testament. Furthermore, they had divided those 613 laws into affirmative and negative laws. There was 247 affirmative laws, one for every part of the human body, as they understood it, and 365 negative laws, one for every day of the year. Now, they also divided the laws into heavy laws and light laws. The heavy laws were like felonies if you broke them, and the light laws were like misdemeanors very similar to your mortal and venial sin separation. They would worry incessantly over which should be light and which should be heavy, and they spent a lot of time ranking these various laws. But more importantly, the rabbis also insisted that all of the commandments were equally great because since it is God that commands them and He is great, they must all be great. They think... They have trapped Jesus for sure because no matter which law he chooses, he would then be saying that all the other laws are just not that important. The other laws are not that great. And that would upset even some of his followers, and it would begin the end of his ministry. So how does Jesus choose? In response... Jesus gave perhaps the most brilliant answer he gave to any question, which tells us exactly what God wants from us. And so we begin 
In your outline, first, we should love God personally. See, I'm sure the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the entire crowd were stunned when Jesus immediately answered the question. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to struggle with it. Immediately, Jesus says this, verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now, what may surprise you is that the New Testament is full of references to God's love for us, but there are very few references about our love for God. And that is only natural because the only reason we love God at all is because He first loved us. He loves us far more than we could ever love Him. Jesus, in this one verse, tells us exactly how we should love God. He tells us of the kind of love that God deserves. And we should, first of all, have a personal love for God. Notice that he doesn't just say, love God. He says, you should love the Lord your God. First of all, he is the Lord. He's talking about the Lord that we find in the Old Testament. Remember, there was a personal God with a personal name who had a personal address, who wants a personal relationship with the world and that he personally created. This is a God who loved us before we believed in him or even knew him. He does not just want to be God. He wants to be your God. We're not called to love some man upstairs who is distant and removed and indifferent to what is going on in our life. This God, who is the God, who is the one God, who is the only God, wants to be your God. He wants you to love him as the only God there is, and he desires to love you as if there were no one else but you. This is what makes Christianity so different and so unique. I have said it many times, Christianity is not a religion with an impersonal God. It is a personal relationship with a personal God who wants to be personally involved in your life. God wants us to love Him personally. There is all the difference in the world between calling Him God and calling Him your God. You know, the one reason... Why Jesus Christ died on the cross and came back from the dead was so that you and I could put that possessive pronoun in front of God's name. My God. Secondly, consider your outline that we should love God passionately. The only love that God wants and deserves is an all or nothing love. Again, verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Unlike the popular song, God does not want the best of your love. God wants all of your love. It doesn't take much of a person to be a believer, but it takes all of a person that there is. So, We are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Now that simply means that we are to love God with every single fiber of our being, with every part of us that is us. We are to love God. 
You know, our heart is separate from our soul. And our soul is separate from our mind. But when it comes to loving God, they are synced together. They're one number. The heart of the matter is loving God. Is loving God with all of your heart because whatever captures the heart will capture the soul and capture the mind. The heart is in the driver's seat of who we are. So when the heart loves out, the mind reasons out, the emotions feel out, and the will acts out. That is why, whether you realize it or not, I am always preaching to your hearts. Because whatever you love the most with your heart will determine how you think and who you are. What you love in your heart will determine your behavior far more than what you believe in your head. No matter what you tell me you believe in, you show me what you love and I will show you what you really love and believe in. And that is why, for example, the abortion issue, the only way people really change is not when they change their mind and the way they think. It's when they change their heart and what they love. When you love God with all of your heart, you will love God with all of your soul. The soul is where our emotions are. The soul is what we feel with. The estimated number of all the range of human emotions have runs as high as 400. Not sure how they determine that, but no matter how many there are, we are to love God with every single one of them. It means to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. And when you love God with all your heart and with all your soul, then you will love him with all of your mind. And you don't have to look very far in history, anywhere in the world, to find the result of loving God with your mind. And let me explain. The early church was faced with the challenge of getting people to think through their pagan beliefs with Christian truth. Monasteries were founded to become places of great learning and to bring Christians to great spiritual, scriptural truth along with secular and worldly truth because all truth in the end is God's truth. For monasteries came universities. And we have faculties today in colleges and universities which began when, when scholars formed into what was known as guilds. And they were licensed by the Pope to grant decrees. The first university was established in Paris around the 12th century with Oxford and Cambridge coming in the 13th century. But the point is, all of these were begun by followers of Jesus so that people could love God with all of their minds. They came to be called universities because they reflected the idea that in the beginning God created all things. That's why we don't call them multiversities. We call them universities because they study a God-created universe. And people who taught in these universities were called professors. Why? Because they were to teach what they professed. And what were they to profess? A belief in a real, relevant, powerful, personal God who created the universe and wants to have a personal relationship with them. Unfortunately, that has all changed in the modern world. But God still wants to be the center of who we love, what we feel, and what we think. We are to love God passionately. 
Number three, you're out like, consider that we should love God preeminently. You know, Jesus answers the question unequivocally. He says in verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. In other words, this is the Mount Everest of all the commandments in the Bible. It doesn't matter if you obey all other commands in the Bible if you don't obey this one. Until you obey this one, you really cannot truly obey any other commandment. See, this commandment comes in first, no matter what the race, with any other commandment. Consider that this commandment is the source and the fountain for every other commandment. That is why it's the greatest, because it is the first. At this point, it calls us back to look in the mirror and ask a question. Do I love God preeminently? Is he above all my first love? And is my love for him truly first before anything or anyone? I think this cause should cause a pause for us as we stare in the mirror and ask ourselves, do I really love him first and foremost? You know, here's a couple of ways to test. What does your checkbook say? Your money tells a lot about what you love and who you love. What would your calendar say? Would it say that your love for God is in the center of everything or just kind of sits on the sideline when it is convenient? We are to love God exclusively and we are to love God supremely. And let me tell you what that means. It means you love God for who he is to you and not for what he can do for you. I'm reminded of a young woman, young lady, who had broken up with her fiancé, and she wrote him a Dear John letter. But a few months later, she wrote him another Dear John letter, but this time it was different. Here's what she wrote. Dear John, I have been unable to sleep since we broke off our engagement. It has just shattered me. I now know I cannot live any longer without you. Would you please forgive and forget and take me back? I was a fool to leave you. Nobody can take your place. I love you more than anyone could ever love you. Please call me. I'm waiting by the telephone now. Love, always, Linda. P.S. Congratulations on winning the Powerball lottery. (laughs) You know, if we love God preeminently... It means our love for him is unaffected by the good times or the bad times. It is unaffected when we're up or when we're down. It is unaffected when things go away and when they don't. But one thing is true. Every morning when we get up and every night when we go to bed, that we can look to our Heavenly Father and say, I don't love anybody like I love you. Finally, considering your outline that we should love God practically, Now Jesus has answered the question, but he's not finished. He goes on, verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, listen, Jesus had not been asked what are the two greatest commandments were. He had only been asked for one. Keep in mind, Jesus didn't have to say this or anything else. But to understand what loving God really is, He did. 
Because love is just not vertical, it is also horizontal. God is the first one, and it is the greatest, but right behind it is loving your neighbor, and they're joined at the hip. And frankly, this may not be the greater of the two commandments, but in a way, it's harder. Someone said, for me to love the whole world is no chore. My real problem is my neighbor next door. You know, it's easy in a way to love a God that loves you first, to love a God that always wants what is best for you, to love a God that sent his son to die for you, but to love the next door neighbor. But in a sense... Both are impossible without the other. You know, we had that driven home in a way in 9-11. Because when you love God or say you love God, but you hate your neighbor, you get a 9-11. Let me also say that when you love your neighbor without loving God, at best your love is going to be incomplete and flawed. And let me tell you what I mean. You will never love others the way they need to be loved until you love God the way he deserves to be loved. Now here's an illustration. Can parents who do not love God love their children? Absolutely. Can they love those children the way those children deserve to be loved and need to be loved? Not without introducing them to the God that loves them the most and the God that loved them first. In fact, I can't think of anything more unloving than to fail to teach our children to obey the greatest commandment of all, which is to love the Lord God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. You know, what Jesus said was not original. Both of these verses were taken right out of the Old Testament. People taught you ought to love God and love others. However, listen, this was the first time that anyone had ever fused those two loves together and said they were inseparable. But then Jesus added something else. Listen to it again. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what Jesus just did there? He raised the golden rule to an even higher level. Do you remember the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But Jesus is now saying, treat others the way you treat yourself. Love others the way you love yourself. You know, there is something that Kathy and I have in common. We both love me. (laughs) And we both love her. Think about how strong every marriage would be if every spouse loved their mate as much as they loved themselves. And then Jesus ties all of this up with a beautiful bow when he says, verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, this statement was a theological nuclear bomb. Prophets included the entire Old Testament. In other words, the Bible that they had at that time. And Jesus just said, pack the entire Bible into those two commandments. You talk about simplifying the complicated. God took 613 laws and put them into 10 commandments. Jesus took 10 commandments and put them into two commandments. Remember this Lord was trying to trap Jesus, but instead Jesus gave him two commandments that encompass all of the commandments. Think about it. 
If you love God, you will keep the first four of the Ten Commandments. If you love your neighbor, you will keep the last six of the Ten Commandments. If you love God, you won't have or worship any other gods before him, and you will keep one day a week holy, and you will not misuse his name. If you love your neighbors as you love yourself, you won't murder them, lie to them, take their spouses, gossip about them, or steal from them. If you think about it, Jesus took even those two commandments and boiled it down to one word, love. After all, God is love. He who is love tells us the one thing that he wants from us is our love. Do you know that do you, the question becomes, do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Jesus said one of the things that will let you know whether you truly do or don't. On one occasion, he said these to these very same Pharisees, John 5, 42 to 43, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. Listen, you cannot love God until you love Jesus. And it is when you love Jesus that you truly love God. He says, love me. But he says, love my son, and then you will love me. If we love Jesus the way we should, then we will love God the way we should. And when we love God the way we should, we will love our neighbor the way we should. Amen.